This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few moments, Wayne Elliott returns to our show from Hollywood Beach, Florida to talk about a BC product that's been helping people all over the world enjoy a better quality of life and personal well-being. In our second hour today, John Carlson is back with a long look at Metro Vancouver real estate and what living in the time of a pandemic is doing to our local real estate market. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week and what a week it has been. In the seven days since our last show, we've seen the Canada-USA border close. Canadian airports receiving international flights reduced to four. Mega billion dollar economic stimulus packages announced by governments at all levels. Schools at all levels from kindergarten to postgraduate studies have either had spring breaks extended or some have been closed for the term. And the close of countless businesses across the country. Most of the business closures are small operations, but some of those business closures are at huge corporate manufacturers like Detroit's Big Three, GM, Ford, and Fiat Chrysler, all of whom have closed their car and truck plants in North America. Honda was the first, with their U.S. and two Canadian plants in Ontario have been closed for a while. Tesla, which builds cars in California, is trying to stay open and not likely to win that battle. An interesting sidebar story in the case of automakers is they may soon ramp up production in some of their factories to produce masks and ventilators and other useful products to combat the coronavirus. Consumers have been trying to find their way through all of this and have reacted by trying to plan for a minimum 14-day self-isolation, which is the likely case for anyone suspected of being in contact with the COVID-19 virus. One of the biggest stories so far has been the many lineups for food and basic supplies that many of us have been patiently waiting through. On Tuesday, we drove around to different supermarkets looking for fresh chicken, and that turned into quite an education. We deliberately went to all the different brands. We went to Save-On, Safeway, Superstore, Thrifties, covered all the possibilities. We were as far south as Morgan Crossing and Semiamu Mall in White Rock to stores in Surrey, Burnaby, and New Westminster. Each store, regardless of brand had zip nothing no chicken no milk no hamburger and we didn't go anywhere near the toilet paper aisle finally at a save-on store in new west we found some chicken and bought what we needed earlier last week we actually went to a costco to try to buy some toilet paper and it was like christmas eve the parking lot was packed at 9 a.m with a long lineup outside the store before the doors even opened people not in the best of moods and there was a lot of tension in the air we went inside the store and of course the toilet paper was long so out so we just left the lineups were so long we decided to take our chances elsewhere and we haven't been back either psychologists have told us here on cknw this week that our reaction to the virus and the hoarding and even some hostility is a natural human reaction in a time of crisis the global scope of this pandemic is very unsettling we can only take care of ourselves our loved ones and our neighbors but it still doesn't feel like enough so we 
go overboard on the supplies and buy stuff we actually don't even need because it feels like we're doing something. I can't tell you how many times I've seen public officials on TV this week telling us not to hoard food. There is no shortage of food, and yet we ignore the, the advice and go nuts anyway. We're a consumer society, and our urge to prepare and to protect ourselves is very strong. We can all be grateful that in our country, one commodity that is going through the roof next door isn't here. Guns and ammunition sales are absolutely staggering in the States these days as folks there, now on a war footing, see the need to possibly defend themselves against a force no gun can stop. Again, in a crisis, humans react instinctively and arm themselves as best they can. Information is the most powerful weapon we have in our arsenal. Good current information, along with sound medical advice on best practices of conducting ourselves, are the best tools we have to make it through this and to get back to putting our economy on track again. We'll talk with real estate with John Carlson in our next hour, but coming right up is Wayne Elliott with a story of his own to tell, and we'll learn more about a BC company that's been helping people all over the world enjoy better heart health and a better quality of life for generations. Stay with us. This is Vancouver Consumer, and you're on CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and it's a pleasure to welcome Wayne Elliott back to the program. Wayne joins us from Hollywood Beach, Florida, in the Fort Lauderdale area. Wayne, welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. Thanks so much, Sterling. Always my pleasure. Well, you know, Florida is a legendary spring break location and destination. We've seen some disturbing pictures of some of the beaches in your state. It's the first weekend of spring in Hollywood Beach, Wayne. What's it like there this afternoon? Well, like no other spring in history, Sterling, like no other spring in history. The the beaches have been closed for a few days. The boardwalk, the famous Hollywood Beach boardwalk, or Broadwalk, it's actually called, has uh, been closed for a few days. And uh, you'll see the occasional person and about uh, eight to ten patrol cars of police up and down. So it's a safe place to be today, mm-hmm. uh, just not allowing anyone on the beach. It, it's kind of ironic. I know they're trying to keep people uh, secluded and, and not together in bunches, but it's, you know, it's it's kind of ironic because you'd think the virus was in the ocean. In the meantime, we've got the lovely fresh breeze here. And uh, uh, so it's very quiet, like I've never seen. And uh, uh, I've been coming here since I was two years old. It's been my second home uh, for school and all. And uh, never seen anything like this. So it's very quiet. Parking spots empty. Parking ramps closed. Uh, all the public events, of course. Restaurants, except for takeouts, those that, that choose to be open. The uh, food stores are open, but largely uh, um, uh, tough to get stock and paper stock. And uh, I, I personally didn't know that all our toilet paper came from China, but looks like a business opportunity for an enterprising Canadian or American. And I'd like to talk about that a little later, that uh, uh, about the source of this virus. But anyway, the, the uh, Clearwater, Florida beach, that's on the Gulf Coast. Right. Uh, they've been open and the mayor, I heard the mayor on the radio yesterday uh, and he's, uh, they're going to close it Monday uh, to let the kids have their spring break, I guess. So he's a, he's the one anomaly in Florida, or at least Clearwater is. And 
Otherwise, it's never been quieter this time of year. That's for sure, Sterling. And you got to got to uh, accept the fact that it, with uh, with the quiet, with that tranquility, the unusual quiet, Wayne. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of money that isn't going into the local economy. Again, being the kind of legendary uh, spring break type destination that Florida is, there are a lot of people in your area relying on that cash flow coming in, and it's just not happening right now, is it? You're right, Sterling. There's uh, at every level. Every level uh, uh, and every type of business, almost, uh, but certainly all these service workers in Florida is a is a tourist uh, economy. Sure. Uh, so there's there's now tens of thousands of uh, folks uh, uh, out of work indefinitely, and you know some of those companies will fail if this goes on long enough, and uh, people will be out of the job until they find another. I was. Uh, 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 you know, I, I, I felt the, I realized the economic effect of the car plants closing in North America, Sterling, because I, you know, we, we supply uh, steel mills in, in uh, one of our businesses, family businesses. And uh, so the steel mills will undoubtedly, especially those that service the uh, supply metal of the car plants, sure. they'll close. Right. Yeah. Uh, it just affect uh, uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands more people. Uh, it's just interesting as well, Sterling. It, 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 it speaks to me about how we as people have changed over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, I saw an interesting article where SARS uh, killed 100,000 people and there were no closures uh, through that uh, crisis. Right. Then H1N1 killed a half a million people and there were no closures through that crisis. And I read this at the point that uh, Corona had killed 4,800, 4,800 people. And, you know, the world was kind of shutting down. And uh, uh, so it's a I think it's just a difference. It seems we're, you know, we're definitely more insecure. And, you know, you think about your forefathers that uh, and what they went through with uh, very tough times in the Depression. And uh, it wasn't a matter of, you know, it was a matter of when's this over. But it was years, Sterling, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, that they suffered through. But this. This coronavirus has certainly created a, 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 a kind of panic, you know, as you read. Uh, there was some good news I'd like to mention, for one from an ex-Stanford University professor and Nobel laureate, uh, Michael Levitt. Uh, he has studied this closely. He lives between China, Israel, and the United States. Mm. And in China, the virus is slowing. Yes. Uh, so that's a good piece of news. That was the source. Italy is is uh, it's kind of out of control because they were the last to act and uh, and the citizens uh, uh, no disrespect to them but they they chose to they're very social people as we all know uh, the italian folks and big meals and family gatherings uh, all wonderful stuff well apparently they continued with that uh, largely and uh, uh, and there are a great number of uh, workers from China and Chinese plants in in uh, in the Milan, Italy area as well, Sterling. Indeed. And, and so, you know, all of these things, uh, any any contact to the source like air travel was certainly, you know, high risk. And uh, uh, so, uh, very scary economically. You know, it's it's incredibly scary. I, I was doing some math uh, uh, just a couple of days ago and reading some reports. This has now cost more already, Sterling, than the Vietnam conflict cost America for really? 11 years. That, that's, Just to put it in perspective. That, that's, uh, that is hard to believe, frankly, given the short amount of time that it's, that's impacted and, and, and the long period of time that the Vietnam War took. That's, that's a rather staggering 
uh, assumption, isn't it, eh? Well, if you look at the stock market alone, it's it's uh, decreased. That that worth, at least temporarily, has mm-hmm. decreased multiples more than the Vietnam War cost. Right. You know, the stock market has melted. Another interesting point, I think, uh, there, there's a new factor, I think, for us to deal with in the world. Anyone who's involved, I'm not, but anyone who's involved in the in the stock market and public trading and so forth, this is a new risk factor. So it makes you wonder, Sterling, will the market bounce back to uh, where it was or anything close you know this this is uh it's new territory given that it's 2020 it's not 1990 it's not 1981 it's 2020 uh another generation and a half has come along sure. and uh, things are different so uh i'm just uh, hoping that we keep our wits about us and they're sensible things that we all know uh is wise to do more more attention to our hygiene sure uh, i'm using uh, several products uh uh, myself that I'm using them more religiously now uh, because of this and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, washing hands and keeping surfaces clean and mm-hmm. just trying to be conscious of these kinds of things. And I'm not going anywhere that I don't think there is anywhere crowded down here right now, Sterling, but uh, I wouldn't be going if there were. And uh, so uh, we have technology, many, many smart people in this world that that, that my bet is will will uh, come up with the, uh, the solution and, uh, and that this too shall pass, as my mother always said. That's a good point to make, too, Wayne, because there are teams, research teams in your country, in mine, and all over the planet right now working really hard to find uh, the way to isolate the virus and then develop a vaccine to combat the virus. And I I agree with you. It is simply a matter of time. Uh, Not a lot of time left for some of us, but most of us are hopeful that the the remedy will be uh, available uh, widely, I would think, uh, as quickly as possible. Now, they initially were saying it could take up to a year or more because there is a testing phase that absolutely has to happen. But as I understand it, Wayne, some of the testing phases have already begun, and that, too, is a good thing. Not only that, Sterling, let's be mindful that it's only the elderly for the most part. Eighty percent of the deaths so far have been people over 70. Yes. uh, uh, and, And those... Uh, at risk otherwise with respiratory and lung issues. Uh, thank God it's it's uh, the least worry to the young ones, our little ones that can't help themselves. They rely on us for everything. And uh, as, as we get older, I guess we're at higher risk. But, you know, I focus on the recovery rate. There's a tremendous number of people infected. The, the great majority are recovering. Yes. Uh, the, the death rate is low as against the number of infected. So, I, I, you know, the sky isn't falling, Sterling, and, and uh, I, I've come to believe, and partly through Jim Strauss's teachings and partly through my lifetime, my 50th year in environmental and recycling work, that uh, nature is in control. You can't, uh, you can't beat it. You can't, uh, uh, you know, you can't duplicate it. Nature doesn't even duplicate itself. And I watched a very interesting video last night from a medical doctor just very interesting facts he shared right back to 1918 and how viruses came on at different times. And, and, uh, uh, if, if, and I assume there is a lot of truth to it, it made a lot of sense to me, Sterling, that these, I, I mean, we know there'll be more viruses in, in future. There's sure. no question about that. Very interesting. This doctor, his name was Dr. Thomas Cowan 
very interesting why he says they'll happen and why they've happened in past. I, I, I'd found it, uh, and it's all about these uh, microwaves and sonar, radar, satellites, uh, cell telephones, all of this <clears throat> technology that's really literally going through the air, Sterling. I, I, I think it's uh, generally accepted that it's a, a good chance that contributes to our, our bee population diminishing. Uh, and that's a very serious thing. If I you agree. want to look at a, a very serious thing, 40% of the world's food is because of our bees. Yep. So we'd, we'd uh, be in, there'd be hundreds of millions of us more starved if we lose the, the bee. Uh, uh, so all of these things have to be kept in perspective. And I hope these, these fellows are right. Uh, every other uh, uh, virus has passed Sterling. And uh, unfortunately there's ones lost and, uh, you know, of course, you, you see these things now, and I said it yesterday, there'll be, there'll be more people die of heart attacks in the United States of America uh, than, than there will be taken by this, uh, this virus. And, and that's going to happen again next year and the year after and the year after that, and cancer as well. And many other things take more lives than what this virus is and will. And so we can't lose complete focus on on the big picture, I don't think, Sterling. And the big picture involves each and every one of us, Wayne, doing the very best job we can to take care of first ourselves and then those closest to us, right? Absolutely. And I, let's be good to each other. I mean, we've been raised properly. We've, we have a high value system. We're social creatures. So this, this uh, you know, the bickering that you hear about in the stores and all this kind of thing, and you mentioned very well, a very nice introduction with the hoarding. Yeah. It, it is senseless, uh, Sterling. It truly is uh, uh, senseless and, and no need to do that. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we're, yeah, I, I don't like the panic part of this myself. I think people are, are being led by some, some media that likes to over-sensationalize sensationalize things. Uh, and, uh, uh, and people just have... You know, fear is one of the emotions, unfortunately, that most of us experience at some point or another. And I think we should have less of it and, and keep it in perspective uh, and take all the precautions, of course, Sterling. But yeah, see, let's bet. keep it in perspective. There's far worse things that can happen. If we lose our bees, way worse things, Sterling, way worse. Our We're guest, having trouble feeding the world now. No kidding. Our guest on the line from Hollywood Beach, Florida, is Wayne Elliott, back with us on Vancouver Consumer to talk about a BC product. He mentioned just moments ago the name Jim Strauss. There is a company in Kamloops, British Columbia, called Strauss Naturals. Wayne has a direct connection to the founder of the company, Jim Strauss, and, of course, the current iteration of the company as well. And we're going to talk with Wayne about his personal story and more about Strauss Naturals when we continue after the news, right here on Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox on the line chatting with Wayne Elliott down there in Hollywood Beach, Florida. He's in the Fort Lauderdale area. Probably the quietest first weekend of spring in Wayne's entire life. But Wayne, part of your life story involves crossing paths with a, a guy named Jim Strauss, who, whose company you continue to be involved with. Tell us how you and Jim got together in the first place. Well, I wasn't very well, uh, Sterling, 23 years ago. And uh, in my 
the late 30s and early 40s, I had clogged arteries. I had all the angina symptoms. I developed the irregular heartbeat after a couple of years of that and had that for six or seven straight years. I tell you, someone really looked out for me because I never took a pill. I didn't have a surgery. I, I refused any medication or anything like that, including to regulate my heart. And then that lucky day when my dear friend Ted called, told me about his heart attack. <clears throat> he lived in BC then, <clears throat> from Ontario. Told me of his heart attack and how he had avoided open heart surgery because this friend of his had introduced him to the Strauss heart drops. Coincidentally, Sterling, I had just read an article months before uh, that the Harvard Medical University, Harvard University, mm -hmm. had discovered that the earlobe crease, creases on our earlobe at the bottom part, like lines, almost folds in some people, was the best indicator of clogged arteries and, in fact, was a better indicator than all of the others put together. Cholesterol, triglycerides, smoking, obesity, environment, genetic, the whole thing, stress. They were not the indicators the earlobe crease was. And I, I, I remember, Sterling, I, I got up from the kitchen table where I was reading this. I went to the mirror. Sure enough, a crease on both earlobes. That meant I was clogged on both sides, according to the, the theory. It's called Frank's crease these days. They actually have a name. So Harvard did this study. Uh, years later, Denmark did a major study uh, with uh, thousands of people <clears throat> with the same results. So... Uh, what I did, because it ran in our family, I lost uh, cousins, grandpas, aunts and uncles uh, as early as age 50. That was a popular age to check out. This is to heart and, disease, uh, Wayne? Yes. Okay. And 58, 59 was another popular age to check out. And the third thing that happened in my family was what they called in those days hardening of the arteries. Okay. And that was a sad 10-year thing uh, where... They did the person relative didn't know you and just a terrible thing. So I planned for that, Sterling. That's what I did then. Uh, I knew I was in trouble and uh, made plans that it was going to happen to me. Maybe I was going to be the youngest member of the family to ever go. And then I got that call from Ted and I called the Strauss company right away as soon as I hung up from Ted and got a bottle expressed to me. I wanted to believe, you know, like you can't imagine, I wanted to believe for me and uh, in two weeks uh the hearing returned to my left ear that was amazing to me never dreamed that was cholesterol uh, uh after about six seven weeks my bronchial cleared it didn't wheeze anymore and at that point my energy began to increase uh and uh that was some experience that i'll never forget over a course of months i, I probably went way too hard almost stopped sleeping but, but the big difference, Sterling, was all the things I didn't want to do before. I've got sons, and they had lots of friends, and I loved quarterbacking for both teams. And uh, we had so much fun. And it's not that I couldn't have done it. Without the energy, you don't even have the will. I wanted to go, but, you, you know, it's just and, – and, and, you know, I might have been lucky. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a, a thing that nature puts in us because – you can't diet or exercise your way out of clogged arteries. Right, right. What you can do is give yourself a heart attack, like the famous jogger Jim Fix. When did he die? Jogging. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I, I was very lucky to have survived probably eight years with trouble before I found those Strauss heart drops. When I ordered my second bottle, I ordered 100 of them. Uh, everybody from my oldest son, other family members, friends, customers, 
of our business. Uh, anybody who needed it, diabetics that I met, I gave bottles to, did my own study. After that, I went out and met Jim Strauss. I'd been on Strauss Heart Drop then five months. And, uh, and that was, apart from finding the heart drops, saving my life and changing them forever since, uh, meeting Jim Strauss was the most profound experience of my life. Wayne, let me One ask you. Things- sorry, Wayne, I, I, I just want to go back if you don't, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt the story because you're a great storyteller, but it, the product that you were taking the, for the five months before, you know, we, we're going to pick up where you, where you uh, spend, start spending time with Jim five months into your treatment program, but you were simply taking the one product. This is the Strauss Heart Drops, correct? Or were you taking combinations of other things as well? No, sir. I swear on my life, I took Strauss heart drops. I was never one for pills, so I never filled a prescription okay. the time I did go to the cardiologist and then for the arrhythmia. So, no, I never even took an aspirin like they started advising Sterling. I didn't. I, I haven't since either. Not one aspirin. Nothing. Interesting. Uh, and you I just just, just followed the directions on the label and that's all you did. Yes, I took the minimum, too. How's that grab you? I took the minimum, which they've proven since. They've proven since that you can clear your arteries faster if you take more than I took. So, I mean, I was a year and a half clearing right out. Right. But I I guess I could have done it in a year if I'd have taken more than the minimum dose. In any event, it worked for me, and it worked fast. And uh, I met Jim Strauss. Can I carry on with that? Absolutely. You bet. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. I met Jim in my fifth month of taking the heart drops. Uh, I must admit, it, it was a uh, 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 we we liked each other. Uh, we had great conversation. One of the very first things that he taught me was that the way nature intended it for us is that we should eat the foods in season that they're grown grown in our region of the world okay that's the way nature intended it so it's like our our native inuit in canada uh they they wouldn't do very well on our western diet and drive through food and so forth and nor i don't suspect we would do well on their diet Mm -hmm. uh either it's you know nature we're like snowflakes sterling there's no two of us alike uh no no two pine trees alike no two giraffes identical Uh, that's what gives us our strength so it's the same thing with races of people, you know, uh, uh, between corn, wheat, and rice, they were the three staples in the world for the world's population. Ironically, now all three are genetically modified. Hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's ironic. Uh, 230 types of wheat now where we had three original types, I believe. Now we don't have any. Uh, but that's a whole other topic for another show. But okay. I never forgot that. Jim's saying, eat the foods grown in season in the area that you're born in. So what do we do today with our transportation? We eat food from all over the world. Yes. Uh, one, one of the angst I have, uh, both economically, health, environmentally, in every category I care about, is that uh, uh, communist China is now our supplier of most everything. Uh, uh, in America here, they fought communism for generations and uh, anywhere it was in the world and, and decided that wasn't a form of government uh, where the people don't have a say. It isn't a form of government the rest of us uh, non-communist countries, democratic countries have chosen. And yet, here we've sterling given them uh, our business and trusted them when we've, we've found problems, the the lead-based paint that was used on children's toys seven or eight years ago that yeah. was found out. Uh, they don't. It's the most polluted environment in the world. So I'm not. 
I, I don't trust it personally, and I, I think we're going to, before this is over, take a real strong look at that as well. And I think Jim Strauss was right. But uh, uh, the rest of his teachings, he always said things I'd never heard before. I've never heard from anyone since. And uh, just a, a tremendous understanding of nature and, and uh, uh, how our bodies work and how we don't have equipment for chemicals. There's no equipment. And so if we expect man-made chemicals to fix or heal us, it would be the same as trying to take our car to the lumber yard to fix with two-by-fours and plywood. You need, you need materials the car is made from to fix it. We need materials and cells we're made from to fix us. And in the pharmaceutical company's defense, there isn't one of them that claim to fix you. They, they deal with your symptoms, and they don't claim otherwise. Uh, uh, all kinds of potential dangerous side effects we all hear on the television and the radio. Of course. Uh, that's, that's because we don't have equipment for them. And as Jim said, when they do their clinical studies, there's a couple of conspicuous things. Number one, one of the criteria is never how do you feel. And I think it's fairly important how a test candidate feels or anyone feels. And the other thing is uh, you have to have a clean body to be a test candidate. You can't be on any uh, chemical drugs. And they only test one at a time, Sterling. Uh-huh. Well, my best buddy Joe was on 16 different pills when he moved into my house years ago, uh, death door. So we have no tests on these chemicals. I don't think our body knows what's going on with these different chemical drugs. And uh, challenges our liver, uh, the, the cholesterol statin drug, people are told by the drug makers, again, in their defense, you're told to get a blood test monthly to check for your liver enzymes because the pills are very potentially harmful to your liver. They shut your liver's function down. I've not met two people, Sterling, that have the monthly blood test. That stresses me out. Yeah. It's, it's like Russian roulette. So. You know, Stroh taught us all these things, how nature works, the foods are color-coded, and thank God he made, he and Peter Strauss made the Strauss heart drops for Jim himself, Sterling. So he, 40 years ago, Jim had a massive heart attack, and uh, uh, most of the other formulas, like the kidney blood pressure that the Strauss company brought back, and the CardioCom for rebuilding heart cells and arrhythmia, right. they've just brought those back to the market. Well, they were 300-year-old formulas. Well, that's what I was trying to get to. The Strauss family goes goes back to Europe uh, and uh, many, many generations of uh, natural formulations, don't they? Oh, Peter Strauss, my good friend, is the eighth-generation medicine man and and herbalist uh, with this unique craft of putting formulas together by taste. Uh, And uh, boy, oh boy, the evidence that him and his dad both got the training, got the family craft, is that they created the Strauss hard drops, the newest, 40-year-old, it's 40 years old, the Strauss hard drops. That's when Pete and Jim made them for Jim after the heart attack and the surgery he refused. And, uh, you know, it's a 40-year great story since then, and I'm sure part of it and grateful to uh, be a part of it to save my life. Uh, I'll never stop talking about it, Sterling. It's, uh, It's just wonderful. And so... Uh, Jim and Peter both have the family craft, and uh, Peter, I can tell you, is a, is the same uh, by taste. And uh, they had these formulas down so cold, Sterling. It was it was amazing, uh, just using a gram scale and chewing and tasting, and uh, that's how they all got put together. And 
I, I'm just grateful they did and that I found out 23 years ago. Interesting stuff. Now, Strauss Naturals, by the way, website with all of the information that Wayne has been uh, telling you here and, and a little more background on, on the family, the family tradition, uh, the manufacturing process. This is located, of course, in Kamloops, British Columbia. So we know the sorts of standards and uh, the uh, health concerns that these companies must operate under. And so probably the fact that it's made right here in our own backyard should be even more reassuring to most of us. Wayne Elliott, a pleasure to have you back on the programs. I'm just uh, directing our friends uh, and listeners to StraussNaturals.com for lots more information about Heart Drops, the product that saved your life. And uh, also, we do appreciate your taking a few moments at the beginning of this conversation to uh, clue us in uh, very directly and very personally with the first weekend of spring in in South Florida. It's great to have you back on the show, Wayne. And I look forward to another chance to chat with you maybe in a month or so. Me too, Sterling. That that web's address for Canadians is straussnaturals.ca. Okay. Uh, straussnaturals.ca. That's S-T-R-A-U-S-S. Thank you for having me. It's always my great pleasure. Uh, and uh, be safe, folks. I hope you give this to yourself. Anyone in need of diabetes or heart condition, Strauss Heart Drops has uh, uh, been both approved by the FDA and Health Canada, Sterling. And uh, uh, no contraindications with any drugs. Excellent stuff. Wayne Elliott, thanks very much. We'll be back after this. Once again, our thanks to Wayne Elliott for another interesting visit. All the products Wayne was talking about are made right here in B.C. in Kamloops. On deck for our next hour, John Carlson, and he'll join us after the news. But it's time right now for Ask Andrew, in which our producer, Andrew Ferreira, takes your questions. And this time around, Andrew, we're asking you about TransLink's diminishing ridership due to this virus. What can you tell us? Yeah, it's it's kind of shocking. Um, and, you know, I'll be the first person to come and defend TransLink with a, like some kind of holy night. Um, but, you know, people are, are taking this seriously, especially those who rely on public transit. Sure. Um, on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, it's usually a pretty busy day. People flood the downtown core for, uh, you know, to drink green beer and uh, lose a little bit of fun uh, out on the town. Bus boardings are down 50% over the same day last year. Wow. Uh, Expo Line Millennium Line boardings down 54%. Mm. Canada Line boardings were down 59%. That's your line, too. That's isn't it? my line. Yeah. Uh, bus boardings were down 69%. And the West Coast Express saw 70% fewer boardings over St. Patrick's Day in 2019. My goodness. So that's, you know, and it's a lot of lost revenue for TransLink. Sure. Uh, and another thing, too, and this is, uh, this uh, kicked in yesterday on Friday. Uh, all buses are now free. Please enter through the back door. They're trying to do their best to limit uh, driver contact with the general public. Sure. So if you if you have to be out and about, and I urge you, if you don't have to be out and about, you know, stay home, right. relax, put on a movie or something. Make sure that, you know, if you're taking a bus somewhere, you don't have to pay. Just get on at the back and, you know, try and keep that as, as well as you can. This is a big city. Try and keep that social distancing in mind uh, when you use public transit. All right, Andrew Ferreira, if you have a question for Ask Andrew, tweet it to us, at Van Consumer. Time for a couple of consumer quickies before the news. The federal government is giving Canadians more time to file and pay our taxes this year as a result of COVID-19. On Wednesday, the Canada Revenue Agency said it will defer its filing due date for the 2019 tax returns of individuals and certain trusts. Now, for individuals, that means the filing date has been pushed back to June 
June 1st, the original date, of course, April 30th. For trusts with a taxation year ending December 31st, the due date has been pushed to May 1st. The government will also allow people to defer their income tax payments until after August 31st before September 2020, which is also with no interest or penalties. CRA says, and this is a quote, the relief would apply to tax balances due as well as installments under the Income Tax Act. No interest or penalties will accumulate on these amounts during this period, close quote. For business owners, the CRA says they will also be allowed to defer their income tax payments until after August 31st without any interest or penalties. The agency will also not contact any small to medium-sized businesses for post-assessment GST, HST, or income tax audits for the next four weeks. Everything's just cooling down. Uh, Andrew and I would like to take a moment here to point out and thank the thousands of retired Canadian healthcare workers who have come back to the system to lend a hand wherever they needed. As one retired nurse put it the other day, hey, we're nurses. It's what we do. So to all the nurses, the technicians, the lab people, the support workers, and the first responders, many of whom are now back in uniform, you have our thanks and our respect. God bless all of you. That's our first hour of Vancouver Consumer Today. We'll pause for global news to three. And on the flip side, John Carlson will join us with a good long look at Metro Vancouver real estate. Stay with us. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, joined on the line by John Carlson from 2% West Coast Realty, here to talk about, well, gosh, John, it's just such a changing marketplace that we're living in. And with that in mind, who should be in the real estate market these days, and perhaps who shouldn't be? You know, that's a great question, and I think it comes down uh, really to um, the situation of individuals, their tolerance for risk, and, uh, you know, what their, what their individual situation is. But I'm having these conversations, you know, with a number of people. And here are my thoughts on that. Again, I am far from being an expert uh, in the health uh, situation here. But uh, maybe if, uh, if a potential client is uh, far over 60 years old, for instance, I was talking to a couple in their 80s who were thinking of downsizing. And we spoke a few weeks ago and we're making plans to get going towards the middle or end of March. Well, okay. We had a very quick conversation. We were all on the same page that it was just not worth it for them to enter the market at this time. Sure. Our understanding is that over 60, people should be more careful or people with compromised immune systems. So, I mean, this is right now part of the job of a good agent is to talk about these things with potential clients and make sure that, you know, they understand what's going on and they can make appropriate decisions. Just like always, that's the agency relationship. You give your client all the information that, that they can answer all their questions and let them make good decisions. So first of all, you know, maybe elderly or people with compromised immune systems. This is just my personal opinion. Um, I'm going to separate clients into two categories, the, the one-off sellers or buyers versus the um, two transaction buyers or sellers. And, and by that, I mean this, if you're a two transaction client, you want to sell your house and you want to buy your house, gotcha. uh, the next property. Okay. Right. Those people, uh, that's doable, but I would be, I'd be a little bit more careful because, you know, there are some risks associated with, for instance, if you were to sell your house today and give yourself two or three months to buy a home, mm -hmm. 
what might happen. Perhaps the uh, perhaps the lawyers' offices will shut down, or we'll have a shutdown, and you might be stuck without a house. Nobody would want to get caught in a situation where things escalated to the point where the entire city shuts down. So, mm-hmm. I would be a little bit more cautious doing that. Um, but the people I find that I'm working with right now are the kind of the one-offs. Uh, maybe an investor had a tenant move out, and they want to sell that condo and get it out off the market. Well, there's a perfect listing. It might be vacant. Uh, they don't have to coordinate that sale with a purchase and make sure they don't get left in the lurch. They can just list it and let it go when the right price comes by. Yeah, and those kind of those are relatively straightforward. Yeah. Uh, for instance, I've got a new listing. I announced it as a coming listing last time I was on the program. It's a 55 and over townhouse, mm-hmm. uh, one level. Uh, the lady has now moved into an assisted care, and it's being sold by power of attorney. I mean, these people need to sell. They want to sell. And the good news is they can sell. But um, I understand that a lot of other people may find that their tolerance to risk is just not not quite there. There's there's an uncertainty there. And uh, for those people, I would suggest if you don't need to sell, there's no reason to add any stress to your life. The right opportunity will come along. It might be a month or two or three away. But for those people, I don't know if if it makes sense for them to join the market either. So the market is still there, but it's a different market than it was. Does it present uh, at the moment, because now we're talking about, we mentioned or alluded to uh, the government intervention, the government of Canada is, is, is uh, uh, the Bank of Canada has made a move or two recently. The federal government is trying to pump cash into the, into the uh, marketplace and creating tax uh, uh, diversions for companies so they can afford to keep their staff and so on. But really, uh, we're kind of improvising as the situation presents itself. D- during all of this, John, uh, are there people on the sidelines looking for buying opportunities? And if that is the case, are they seeing any? Well, that's a great question, because if you ask me not to make light of, of this situation, because I don't, it's a serious situation we're facing. Uh, but if there is a silver lining, I would say that it is uh, the buying opportunity. Again, with rates being relatively low, uh, you have more buying power or the ability to pay less for a property than you might have otherwise. Mm-hmm. But I think that as this drags on, we may see sellers who uh, say, um, you know, we really want to sell. Uh, maybe we need to sell. And if it hadn't been for this coronavirus thing, we probably would have listed at X. Right. But given the fact that we'd kind of to like this to drag on too long, we're going to drop that price by a factor of 10, 20, 30,000, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that some people who have the motivation to sell might adjust their strategy a bit and put a much more reasonable price on a property than, say, had this never happened and the market started going upwards. So you might see a buying opportunity there. Low interest rates, you might get a very reasonable purchase price on certain properties. Right. And then if the market turns around and there's a rush back in the market, boy, you never know. A buyer could really make some equity in a short time. So that, to me, is one of the opportunities of this particular situation. Interesting stuff. I got a question for you from a, a fellow that uh, I, I meet on a regular basis. We walk our dogs together, and that's still allowed. His name is Howard. He says, I got a question for your real estate guy when we're out walking the dogs the other day. And I said, shoot, I'll pass it along. He said, okay. So he, he takes less commission because of the way his business model is set up. So right. when, when other agents are uh, uh, taking their clients around and shopping 
properties. Why would they want to stop and show one of your guys' houses, given the fact that they already know they're probably going to make less money for doing so? And I said, well, that's a fair question. I think I've heard it before, Howard, but I'll, let me pass it along to John. So there you go. That is a great question. And uh, if you know that could be a concern if our industry was entirely driven by commissions. But of course, that's not the case. Um, you know, every agent who meets a client has a discussion or should have a discussion about how he or she is going to get paid. And usually an agent gets paid when they've, you know, satisfied their client and sold the property or found them a good one and got a deal together sure. and have it finalized. Um, but why would an agent show my listing if I were offering out less commission than, say, uh, one listed by a broker down the street? Mm hmm couple of good reasons. First of all, number one is agency relationship between a client and, a, and, a, and the agent says that the agent owes that client the duty to show them all available properties. If, if I were an agent, and I, and I don't do this, of course, but if I were an agent who only showed the properties that had the highest commissions on them, I wouldn't be representing my client's interest first and foremost. I'd be representing my own interest first mm -hmm. and foremost, and that is against the agent code. So uh, first, there's that. But the second thing is buyers are pretty informed and they know where the listings are and they want the best possible price on the best possible listing that meets their terms. And, you know, if I'm offering out a 1% commission, so say a $900,000 property, hey, it's a $9,000 commission. It might not be as much as some of these other guys are offering. But I think that most home buyers who go out with their agent, they'll look at a home and say, hey, honey, this is the one we want. Let's write an offer on it. Sure. And uh, that agent will get $9,000, and we think that's pretty generous, so we're happy with it. So buyers buy properties that, uh, that, that suit them. And unless you're offering out a ridiculously low commission that just opens up uh, a further negotiation or problem, um, you know, I don't, uh, you know I, I don't think that most agents will bother to make a big deal about what they're getting paid, whether it's 9000 or twelve or 15000 Um but again, everything being negotiable, sometimes people come to my listings, they show the property, they write an offer, and then they ask in the offer, the buyer does, for their agent to get compensated uh, maybe more than we're offering. And that can become a negotiation. But right. that's the thing I like about being at 2% Realty, where we charge a commission of 2%, one for the listing side, one for the selling side. There's significant savings, but it's also still within the realm where uh, it's pretty much business as usual. John, we talked earlier about uh, some new uh, directives from the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board, and the boss was on NW a few days ago talking about some of them. One of them that, that has been alluded to that I would hope you could clarify for us, this is uh, rules regarding MLS listings. There, there used to be, uh, they've, they've modified the MLS rules somewhat. Can you explain what's happened? Well, yes, uh, and I'm really happy to say that the Real Estate Board is uh, a Greater Vancouver University. These boards are, are taking this very seriously, and we are all aware that, you know, the, the safety of ourselves and our clients and the public is, is paramount. So um, one of the changes that the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver recently implemented is they've temporarily suspended a rule about showings. And that rule uh, previously said, look, if you're on MLS, uh, you need to be available for people to look. You for showing and you cannot oblige that showing in five days or fewer, then you need to put a temporary hold on that listing. Uh -huh. We don't want it on MLS. Gotcha. Okay. You might want to remove it. Well, that requirement has now been uh, temporarily taken back. So if you are on MLS and maybe you still want to sell your house, but you've got a tickle in your throat, you thought, hey, maybe I should isolate for a week or two. Sure. You can still stay on MLS in the public eye 
if there's a request for a viewing and you say, hey, no, we really can't have any viewings for a week or two weeks, that is no longer grounds for the real estate board to say, hey, that listing has to be cancelled. So that is one small change that I think uh, is appropriate at this time. Well, absolutely. I mean, given that it's <laughs> chances are 99% not your fault, uh, and all you're trying to do is follow the directives of the provincial health officer to say nothing of the rest of the government. Uh, yeah, probably. A, 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 and I think, therefore, consideration from MLS with regards to the extending that uh, you got to have it to visible within five days rule is just practical uh, in these times, John. It is, and I'm, I'm actually really proud to say that the vast majority of agents that I'm communicating with, either by phone or you know online or one of these things, a lot of agents, we're, we're taking precautions. We're meeting people. We're having serious discussions with them. We're screening to make sure that you know we're not presenting a risk to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, rubber gloves are out. Um, there are requests. Uh, when I'm showing properties now, uh, or when I have a request on mine, there's a questionnaire that we send out to the other agents saying, hey, please ask your you know, your, your client, the following questions before we allow access to the house. Number one, are they sick? Is anyone else in their family sick? Mm-hmm. Have they been out of the country for 14 days? These sorts of questions. And really intended to create awareness and also just protect the, the people that we're working for and that our colleagues are working for. So there are a lot of protections out there. Um, hand sanitizers, you know, Clorox wipes, anything you're touching down. Suddenly showing a house has become a lot more of a, you know, there's a lot more procedure involved to make sure that um, everyone is being protected and handling business safely. So this is something that will continue to evolve as this situation evolves. Well, and again, it's uh, more uh, certainly nothing that isn't being uh, directed from uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry and the Ministry of Health. And so it's and because it is such a people business, John, you really do have to pay attention to all the latest, don't you? Absolutely. Um, you know, we're out there to some degree on the front lines. Yes. People have important business going on. People have sold and they need to buy. Uh, people are being transferred, as you mentioned. Um, the business goes on in a reduced capacity, but it goes on. And I think that, um, you know, as professionals or just anyone uh, out there uh, has a duty right now to think about keeping others safe as well as, them, as well as themselves. So, again, the real estate industry goes on, but there are a lot more precautions uh, they have to be taken, and, uh, you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody about those sorts of things or do evaluations online and that sort of thing to keep everybody safe but make sure they get the information that they need. Uh, let me just uh, close things out here with a quote from johnnysmartpoint.com. A property that shows well, that is priced right, that is marketed professionally will sell regardless of who's listing it and regardless of how much commission the seller has agreed to pay. Buyers don't care whose name is on the lawn sign or whose smiling face is beside the realtor uh, listing. Uh, buyers only care about whether the property they're considering purchasing fits their criteria and their budget. This is intuitively obvious. As you mentioned just moments ago, John, in terms of the business model and dealing, buyers don't really care about that. They, they want the property they want and wise real estate agents find a way to get them to it, right? Correct. And one of the things I'm doing right now, every listing I'm taking, I'm mapping it out three-dimensionally. So one of the great things I can do is to direct people to the 3D tour and they can walk through it and check out the points and all that sort of thing without even going into the house. And, um, you know, that's something that I have my own in-house marketing team that can do. So it's safe and it's easy. And it's one great way of getting your property shown virtually and out there uh, and maybe screening potential viewers. Uh, So there's a tool that we're definitely using. But yes, you're right. Things go on. 
And uh, it's up to us good agents to help people achieve their goals while also keeping everybody safe. Yeah, and your video production team does excellent work too, John. You're lucky that way. You have top-notch help. Uh, almost out of time here, my friend. Just time to give the phone number a couple of times to our many listeners who are hopefully learning a little bit more about how the game has changed in real estate lately. 604-612-0080. Again, 604-612-0080. That's the direct line to John Carlson. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, John. Stay well and stay safe. Thanks very much, and thanks to all the listeners. Stay well, too. We're back after this. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, John Carlson returns to take a look at how dramatically the COVID-19 pandemic has affected real estate here in Metro Vancouver. If you thought navigating the maze was a bit difficult a couple of weeks ago, try to imagine what house hunting must look like now. John has been doing lots of homework for today and will share his findings with us in just a few moments. But first, here are some more of the top consumer stories we're following this week and in these trying times of the coronavirus and high anxiety, it's unfortunate but predictable that bad people will try to take advantage of our fears with rip-offs and scams. The Better Business Bureau, the Canadian Fraud Centre, and law enforcement agencies across Canada are watching for and seeing many virus-related scams, mostly having to do with fake cures or phony prevention measures. So with a little help from our friends at Glacier Media, here are the Better Business Bureau's uh, items to watch for. First and foremost, fraudulent health products. Scammers are sending messages or creating websites with information about amazing products, including convincing testimonials or a conspiracy theory backstory. Currently, there are no approved vaccines or drugs to prevent coronavirus, although treatments are in development. Con artists are also impersonating World Health Organization in phishing emails, claiming to have news about the disease and prompting readers to download malicious software be very careful fake charities another one to watch out for scam emails trying to con people into donating to fake fundraising efforts claiming to be a government program to develop a coronavirus vaccine better business bureau's wise giving alliance suggests that donors consider experienced relief organizations another one the face mask con as the coronavirus outbreak worsens the better business bureau has received numerous reports about scam websites claiming to sell face masks online so be sure to watch out for phony e-commerce sites and other scams unfortunately phony online stores abound especially when an item is in high demand and when you're looking for face masks be savvy about product claims while wearing a face mask may seem like an easy way to stop the coronavirus from spreading the centers for disease control does not actually recommend it for the general public only buy from reputable stores and websites is the next bit of advice from the BBB. The best way to avoid getting scammed is to buy your products directly from a seller you know and trust. Check BBB.org to see what other consumer experiences have been. That's one of the reasons they're there. And be sure the online store you're dealing with has working contact information before offering up any of your personal information. Make sure the company's legit. Look for a real street address, a working customer service number, and yeah, a positive Better Business Bureau profile. And remember rule one, if the person on your phone doesn't sound right, hang up immediately. Your government will never call you to harass you about money. They do that 
by mail, not by telephone. Hang up immediately. Oh, and on top of all the restaurant and bar closures we've had to deal with this week, news from the organizers that Vancouver Craft Beer Week has been postponed. Done on a reminder of the times in which we live. It was originally set to go from May 29th to June 7th. The event has been postponed until later in the summer. That's all the organizers of this and many, many other outdoor festivals and events have at the moment because we have absolutely no idea when those events will be held. And in this case, simply hoping we can still have Craft Beer Week later on in the year, by which time I expect we'll seriously need a few beers and a few laughs. Our beer community is strong, say the Craft Beer Week folks, and that is definitely a good thing. Those are a few more of the week's top consumer stories. We'll have even more for you later in the hour. But coming right up is Johnny Smartpoint, John Carlson, with a fresh look at Metro Vancouver real estate, next on Vancouver Consumer, right here on CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer for a Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, joined on the line by John Carlson, Personal Real Estate Corporation. John, good afternoon. Hi, Sterling. Here's where I'd usually say good to be here. Well, I know this is the John and I have been doing this real estate chat on CKNW and Vancouver Consumer for close to two years now. And this is the very first time we actually haven't been in studio opposite each other. It's that kind of changed workplace for all of us, John. How's yours these days? Well, you know, things have changed. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we're all very conscious of this um, situation that we're in. And, And just at this moment, I'm just you know, wishing that I was in the studio with you because it's a fant- it's, it's a great time doing the show with you and being face-to-face. But right now, I think it's more important that we all uh, practice that self-isolation uh, thing that's uh, so prevalent in the press. Interesting. We had uh, a colleague of yours, the president of the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board on CKNW a few days ago, uh, and she was talking about, and this, I imagine, affects you and every other realtor in all of the, the lower mainland, but there are definite ways that of doing business that have been changed. And I guess Yes, John, we have to start with the, the well-known, perhaps the best-known aspect of, of real estate, the open house. Is it gone yes. completely? Uh, it, it might be soon. Um, you know, open houses are a staple of the spring. Um, people that are starting to, you know, get that feeling that, okay, this is the time. Let's go see what's out there before sure. we put our house on the market. But that, I, I think, is, is completely um, going away. I know that open houses are still allowable. Um, the real estate board sent all of us agents out an email uh, early in the week and then another one, I think just yesterday, advising, strongly advising to cancel open houses. And my personal feeling is uh, that open houses uh, probably should be canceled. There are other ways to uh, to get the right people in your property. And I, for one, am not holding any open houses uh, until further notice. Okay. Okay, good to know. So then, if a person and you're right, it's spring. It's it's uh, last spring. It wasn't it wasn't the most exciting or uh, energetic spring, uh, but we managed to end up with a not bad year at the end of it all. Anyway, uh, this year uh, it's it's that time of year, and you've identified spring over a number of years as being the peak, typically of any real estate year. This is not a normal year in so many ways, John. What is the activity level around the Lower Mainland these days? Are people still looking people are still looking um obviously the volume of calls that i'm getting and the showings that i'm getting are are fewer now um and there's definitely uh, a trend where a significant number of people are deciding this isn't the right time for them to enter the market so of course. Uh, for instance if i were to um, go back say four weeks 
the trend really was, hey, listings were starting to come, sales were happening, there were multiple offers. Uh, the trend was very clear that the market was picking up steam. In fact, prices seem to be pointing up in a lot of segments, especially mm-hmm. the detached housing segments. Um, but, and for instance, if you had to talk to me maybe three or four weeks ago, my strategy pricing-wise might, might have been, hey, let's price it high. And if nothing else, if we give a little time, the market will likely catch up to us. Right now, I'm not seeing prices fall or any sort of crashing indications, but the activity has definitely uh, stepped back. Sure. And those people that are out there are being asked, you know, hopefully by their agents, but also um, by the other sellers. If you go to look at a house right now, it's highly likely that your agent might receive a little uh, questionnaire and ask, ask for everybody to fill it out before even entering the house. That might ask if you've been out of the country in the last 14 days mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or if you've had any illnesses or those sorts of things. So people are protecting themselves, and I think that's fantastic. Um, but uh, one of the big questions I get, is the market dead? No, the market's not dead. It is definitely reduced in capacity. But for people who really have a, a need or a strong desire to sell a property or to buy a property, there is still a market there. Okay, interesting stuff, because we know, and we've discussed this in the past, that the people who run the show in terms of planning for the future for this part of Canada rely comfortably on a number of 35,000 people expected in 2020 to move to the greater Vancouver area, John. That is a fact that is likely not to be deterred too much by the current pandemic. Despite all, they're still expecting 35,000 new people to come to our area over the course of the year. That alone is a demand issue, isn't it? It is, and demand remains very strong. Uh, Again, all signals were pointing upward. This is not permanent. This is a temporary setback, uh, if you will. And, uh, you know, I I personally believe that we're going to go through a period. We're not sure, you know, how long it might last Mm -hmm. in terms of weeks or months. But there will come a time when things start to get back to normal and people feel safe. And I believe at that time that all that demand will start to present itself uh, combined with low interest rates that we're seeing. And I, I suspect that when the, you know, the tables turn a little bit here, we're going to see a rush back into the market. So, again, this is kind of temporary. Um, I'm not sure how long it'll last. I'm not an expert in, in disease. But I do know, uh, speaking about demand, that there are an awful lot of people who I've maybe talked to in the last six months who said, You know, for instance, I had clients who were ready to list in March and they thought, well, we're going to take our trip to Mexico first. Okay. They got back from Mexico and there's an automatic uh, um, 14-day, you know. uh, Self-isolation, right, yeah. Yes. And and now they've called me and said, you know what, we still really want to sell. We're looking for our next place, but we're going to maybe put it off a month or two and see what happens. So I don't think that demand is going away. However, it might be delayed. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a positive thing in the market. But as for now... The numbers are down. The listings are down compared to like two or three weeks ago. The numbers of listings were bumping up every single Monday. Yes. I see more listings. Right. Now we're seeing fewer, also fewer sales. So also the, the other uh, factor that we've discussed many, many times on this program is time on market. That is a factor that is, if you if you had your house listed, say, you, you put it up for sale a month or two ago and it didn't go immediately and it's still on market, now that isn't necessarily uh, uh, something to be held against the property if you know what i mean it used to be well there's something wrong with this place if it's been on on the market for four or five months 
uh, perhaps to do with price, location, whatever. But now time on market simply because, as you've just described, clients who are all set to go after the self-isolation are still going to park it for a couple more months. So time on market or the sign on the front lawn or the length of that time doesn't matter as much as it used to now, does it, John? No, I don't think it matters as much. Uh, New listings will always get a little bit more attention than a listing that's been hanging around for a while. Um, But it's certainly not the kiss of death to have been on the market a little while uh, and not sold. I know a lot of properties, of course, out there like that. Um, More motivated sellers may adjust their strategy and may adjust their pricing, given the outlook for the next month or so is not for prices to be pushing up and uh, maybe have all this momentum continue that we saw before. So, uh, again, not a not a, a kiss of death to have your property on the market for a month or two with no sale. But if you're serious about selling, you might want to take a, a fresh look at what you're looking at in terms of what the market might bear. Mm-hmm. And you might want to update that strategy and you might want to update that price depending. Right. So now this is where it gets a little tricky, unless, of course, you're a real estate agent, a member of the President's Club a few times around with 24 years experience in Metro Vancouver real estate under your belt. So you got to know how this gets done. So uh, you've got a house, you've got a person listening to us right now. They've been they're on the bubble. They're all set to go, but a little nervous as everyone is with this covid virus going on. So how did they get a sense of what their house might be worth now uh, in times of social distancing and limited contact? How do you, the old pro, handle evaluations, John? That's a great question. And again, this being a temporary situation, it probably makes sense for people to still be gathering information if they're serious about selling this year. Sure. And here's how I've handled it. Um, I typically uh, drive all over the place talking to people, seeing their properties and offering evaluations on those properties. What I'm doing now is I'm still available and I'm still working. I'm inviting uh, people to call me on my cell phone. Um, People can give me their address or they can go to my website and, and send me a note and I can call them back. But I like right now the idea of doing evaluations over the phone. If people give me their address and a little bit of information about the property, I can pull up some recent comparables. I can send them to them by email. We can have a phone conference and talk about, you know, how their property might compare to the recent sale down the street, uh, et cetera. And we can probably, uh, you know, get a pretty accurate idea in terms of what an evaluation might be based on what they tell me and the information that we go over together. So, I might not do an evaluation in your home. I still am doing those sorts of things with precautions for the right people. Sure. Uh, but it seems like a good idea right now to start over the phone and then, you know, use email and electronic type uh, signatures. I'm doing offers electronically, virtually, uh, exclusively now. I'm not actually, even if I'm, if I live down the street from somebody, uh, I'm sending them the contract electronically after we've discussed it for signatures and that sort of thing. So business does go on, but we have to be careful and we have to be smart about how we operate. Well, absolutely. Well, with the guy who's, whose website is johnnysmartpoint.ca, it, you, you've got that. You got to have the smarts on all the time with all of this. John, let's talk about the smart point these days, and let's talk about pricing and where that intersects. Because the government of Canada has dropped interest rates. Some of the banks have dropped some of their interest interest rates. Others have increased some. Um, but as with respect to uh, prices, if the government continues to provide incentives, uh, is it almost inevitable that prices will rise? Or are we in a, at a time right now where uh, they may stay static for a while longer? Well, let's remember, uh, these low interest rate offerings really are meant to 
as a stimulus. Correct. By a government who is aware that we're in or heading for a time that requires stimulus. Um, so, uh, you know, how does it how does it play out? I think that remains to be seen. Okay. Again, if you rewind a month, I was quite confident that, um, you know, with uh, interest rates being relatively low, with demand being frustrated last year and people coming and saying, hey, maybe this year is our year to sell, mm-hmm. that prices were heading upwards. I wasn't, you know, expecting uh, huge increases, but we had been a bit of a trough last year. And now the, 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 you know, at that time, the graph was pointing upward. Right. Asking me if prices are going to go up, I don't think so during this time, mm-hmm. um, simply because um, the demand is going to be frustrated or delayed uh, for a little while. So these low interest rates for the right people are fantastic, presents a buying opportunity. Sure. Um, I also don't see prices crashing or really changing that much during this next month or two, uh, because the number of buyers are fewer in the market, but the number of listings are also fewer in the market. And I, I still sense there's going to be a relatively balanced market. So I wouldn't, at least at this time, um, suggest to a seller that didn't have a lot of motivation or extreme motivation to fire sale a property. I don't think that's necessary, and I don't think that's going to be necessary. Mm. Okay. But if you want 100 showings and no offers and have a bunch of people coming through your house, you can price it high. But if you want to actually sell and be smart about it and not have it take forever and expose yourself to too many people, I think... Pricing where a property should be and holding there is probably the best strategy for most sellers right now. Well, strategy, of course, is what it's all about. And with the assistance of a, of a capable veteran uh, real estate agent, one develops a strategy for selling one's property. And uh, I would imagine, John, over the last couple of weeks, given the, the roller coaster ride we've all been on, a lot of people have been modifying strategies pretty dramatically. Yes, I think so. I and in fact, any anybody that I've been working with lately, uh, we've been in contact on a regular basis by phone these last couple of weeks. Uh, I do have a couple of price reductions where people have said, "Hey, John, we've been on the market three, four weeks. Uh, we noticed the showings are dropping a little bit. When right. we first met, our strategy was let's put it high and see. Maybe we should think about that because we'd rather sell, you know, now in the next ten showings than have another fifty showings." So. Strategies can change. But on the other hand, I mean, it depends on your your perspective. Uh, Other people are just going to wait it out and say, hey, here's my price. And if I don't sell now, then, you know, maybe I'll look at it in the summer. Interesting stuff. By the way, 604-612-0080. That's John Carlson's phone number. We're going to take a break for the news here. Um, No, wait till after the show if it's all the same to you because I'm going to be coming right back with him in just a very few seconds. But take note of the phone number, please. 604-612-0080. 612-0080. And, of course, it's all on the website, johnnysmartpoint.ca. Lots more with John Carlson here on Vancouver consumer after the news once again our thanks to john carlson for another helpful visit in these times of uncertainty it's good to know someone is watching the big picture and is ready to help us sort things out time now for ask andrew in which our producer andrew ferrera takes your questions and today andrew this time around it's about this weekend's online concerts apparently more than a few too yeah, so last week the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra did a uh, like an online concert to a to an empty uh, theater, uh, a Beethoven concert, which was excellent. I, I encourage you. It, it was a Facebook Live. You can search just search it up Vancouver Symphony Orchestra concert. Uh, and I wondered if any other you know artists were going to be doing this. And it turns out the answer is yes. Uh, NPR South of the Border has uh, compiled a list 
of artists. And so, for instance, today, if you're a rock fan, Ben Gibbard used to uh, be with Death Cab for Cutie and the Postal Service. Uh, is doing a uh, 4 p.m. Pacific uh, Facebook and YouTube concert, so you can go ahead and check that out if you want. And tomorrow, Sunday, if you're really looking for something, you know, to maybe clean the house to, uh, the Vienna State Opera is going to be performing Siegfried at 1 and 3 p.m. Eastern time, so that's 10 uh, a.m. and noon Pacific. Uh, and if you're looking for maybe something, maybe uh, hardcore punky, uh, Year of the Knife will be performing on Twitch and YouTube at a 6 p.m. Eastern. That's 3 p.m. Pacific. And if you want some uh, some electronic music, uh, United We Stream is going to be featuring um, a C rate, Rebecca, Ellen Alien, Content of the Night, and Fam. And that's coming up at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Sorry, 11 a.m. Pacific time tomorrow. If you just search NPR uh, virtual concerts, you'll be able to find the list and find something to your liking. All right, there you go. Thank you, Andrew. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we go. With the coronavirus disrupting the global theater marketplace, Universal Pictures is making some of its current movies available on demand starting this week. Universal and its specialty label Focus Features will make films like The Invisible Man, The Hunt, and Emma, all of which are currently playing in theaters, available to rent on-demand services like Comcast, which owns Universal, as well as Sky, Apple, and Amazon, all up and running by yesterday. Consumers will be able to rent the films for $19.99, likely U.S. per film, for 48 hours. DreamWorks Animation's Trolls World Tour will also be on demand starting on April 10th, the same day it was set to be released in the theaters. Universal said it made its movies available in the home now because of the current circumstances, which have made it more challenging to view our films. The CEO said that rather than delaying the films or releasing them into a challenged distribution landscape, the studio wanted to provide an option for people to view these movies in the home that is both accessible and affordable. Major blockbusters, however, not included in Universal's plan. They announced earlier that the latest entry in the Fast and Furious franchise, because this one's going to be called F9, will be rescheduled until next year. Yesterday, we also learned, by the way, the Cannes Film Festival has been postponed from mid-May as well. As people head to the great outdoors in order to practice social distancing, BC search and rescue groups are reminding everyone to plan ahead and stay safe. While there hasn't been a great uptick in call-outs so far, North Shore Rescue says they've definitely noticed more people on the trails using the greenways as they look to maintain social distance while keeping busy amid this ongoing crisis, still with more people likely going outdoors in the coming weeks, trying to stay active after being cooped up. Preparedness is key. We're asking people to take extra care going in and onto the North Shore Mountain over the next few weeks. The BC Search and Rescue Association, they front for 79 search and rescue groups across the province. They say stick to familiar and safe trails, planning extra time in order to get back with plenty of daylight, wearing winter weather appropriate footwear and clothing. Come on, it's still March, it's still Canada. And above all, hike with someone else. You should keep your hiking group small, preferably just with family members, in order to enjoy the outdoors doors while still maintaining social distancing. Here's an important tip. The snow line is about 700 meters elevation on the local mountains. Stay below the snow line unless you're well equipped for icy snowy conditions. The rescue teams really want you to go to adventuresmart.ca to make sure you have all the essentials before hitting the great outdoors. That is our show for this week, produced by Andrew Ferreira. I'm Sterling Fox. Stay well.
The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.